Paul Golden here, Clark Summit University, joined by our president, Dr. Jim Lytle, and an alumnus of CSU, Aaron Marshall from Fayetteville, Arkansas. Aaron, what does a kid from Winfield, Illinois, end up doing here on the campus of Clark Summit University? How'd you get here? Yeah, thanks for having me today. And that's pretty simple. My youth pastor in the church I grew up in, in, in Faith Baptist in Winfield, was an alumnus and took me to teen leadership conference. And I fell in love with the campus and really some youth workers in my youth group at the time who were discipling me, even though we didn't use that word back then in the early 80s as much, you know, challenged me to think about ministry and serving the Lord with my life in my junior year of high school. And so I made that decision at that time and, and between teen leadership conference and my youth pastor's influence, it was simple to go to what used to be BBC and is now CSU. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, you went through CSU, you served the Lord for a while as a pastor, but if I Google you, I find out that out there in Northwest Arkansas, which is one of the hottest economic areas in America, uh, they're listing you as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, as someone who's heavily involved in the community. Tell us a little bit about Northwest Arkansas and what you're doing there. Yeah, this is a really unique and awesome place to live, actually. It's not what you think. I try not to use my twang unless I need it. Um, but Northwest Arkansas is really a little bit different than the rest of the state. We've got the headquarters of Walmart in Bentonville. Uh, we've got the headquarters of Tyson, which is the largest protein producer in the country in Springdale. And we've got the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville, uh, along with J.B. Hunt, one of the largest uh, intermodal transportation companies in the country uh, in between. And so there's sort of a, a metro area of four large cities, all of which have their own claim to fame. But we, we eclipsed 500,000 people a couple of years ago in these two counties. And it's really an interesting... People from all over the world are here between the university and Walmart and Tyson. And, so what, what um, business are you involved in there, Aaron? So the company that I've been a part of the last 15 years is called BCS, and we support all of the point-of-sale electronics in all the Walmart stores in North America. And so that's 250,000 register lanes on which there are 15 to 20 electronic devices that we support. So we get about 1,000 broken items a day, and we ship out 1,000 repaired or refurbished items a day. Um, and during this time of year, during peak season, when we're getting ready for the holidays, that goes to three to 5,000 a day. Doesn't sound like you'd have a lot of time for side activities. So what's this I've read about a hospital? Yeah, so along the way, we, um, we were able to, there's a children's hospital in Little Rock. That's three and a half hours away. And so if you had a child or were uh, a minor who had a serious health issue, you had to drive three and a half hours, or if it was urgent, you had to get in a helicopter and be flown at some great expense. And so with this area growing, uh, a few years ago, I had an employee that had a five-year-old who contracted cancer, and I found out that there was no pediatric oncology treatment available in Northwest Arkansas. And we were sort of heartbroken by that. He was driving to Little Rock every two weeks. And so uh, my wife and I just felt like we needed to do something. And so we started, we have three healthy kids and we started an endowment to bring pediatric oncology to Northwest Arkansas. And then a couple of years later, they announced that the Children's Hospital in Little Rock was going to build a facility right here in Springdale. And uh, we had to be a part of that. And uh, right about the time we made the commitment to, to partner with them, uh, I lost my mom to a long battle with dementia and, and some other issues. And 
And so we were able to give a gift and, and there's a little corner of a garden there, a butterfly garden named after my mom. And we helped get that building built. So now there's what they call care close to home. And in fact, just a few months ago, my son broke his finger and we had to go uh, to that ER and get treated there. So it was kind of interesting the first time being a, a patient and a consumer of, of that network. Okay. So you were there for the business. You got involved in the hospital and help to catalyze other people. So they would see the need for it and they would get together, adding in the funding necessary, putting the whole program together. What exactly was your role in there just besides the idea? Well, I'd like to think that we helped other people think about being generous. And and so, you know, if you step back a little bit, I was a a CSU grad and pastored for a while and then uh, went through a divorce and found myself divorced and unemployed in 2002. And literally got to $120 in my pocket. And I was living with a family member in a spare bedroom for over a year before I started life over and sort of got into business and, and God blessed that path. And, and I learned really a couple of things. I learned what grace was for the first time in my life, coming from a place of complete brokenness. And then I learned that life is ministry. I don't have to have a, a vocational ministry title or get my paycheck from an organization that has the word church or ministry in it. And I realized that, you know, one relationship at a time and the place where God has me is where I need to serve others and make a difference. And when you, when you come from a place of having a hundred dollars in your pocket and living in a spare bedroom of your brother's house and really not knowing what's next and not being able to get a job. And then God begins to bless uh, your effort to try to be responsible and faithful. And as you give to others and realize the joy that comes with generosity, then you begin to, to see how, how God really wants to use you and, and in the lives of others. And so fundamentally, we just decided early on that to the degree God blesses us, he means it to be a blessing to others. It's not about our comfort. It's not about our uh, success. But really, we wanted to be conduits of God's blessing to other people. And, and I am not a health and wealth prosperity guy at all. Um, but it seemed like when our heart was in the right place and we were being generous, we couldn't, the more I gave away, the, the more there was to give. And, and so I, I tried to help others realize that, look, if, if you get your house in order and you live on less and you understand what contentment is and you know where enough lands and then you look around for people with needs and you're generous to try to help meet those, then everybody is better. No, I was just thinking of a verse from Proverbs that you and I memorized together once. Uh, a generous man will prosper and he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And it sounds like you're benefiting the, the, from the fruit of that verse in your life. Yeah, and that's absolutely not a formula. You know, you can't just take that. It's not a magic wand with pixie dust that makes you prosperous. But again, I think when your heart's really in the right place, and you're right, when when you challenged us to read the book of Proverbs back in 1992, uh, I've done that every month since. And so, man, that's 28 years of letting that wisdom soak in. And one of those, that verse for sure. When your heart's in the right place and you do that from a genuine, authentic place of generosity and contentment and, and wanting to bless others, then I think it, it's a promise that holds true. So the hospital's all built. And uh, I also read on the internet something about work with the homeless. 
Right. So uh, along the way, since 2007, one of my close friends is a sociologist at the University of Arkansas and poverty and homelessness is sort of his life's work. And every other year I would go with him out in the woods and try to find people who were camping, uh, didn't have a place to live, the, the chronic unsheltered homeless. And since 2007, that went from we'd find six or eight to there was a camp of 140 people living on a 30 acre plot of uninhabited woodlands that was owned by the University of Arkansas, coincidentally. And I just, in 2017, when I saw that camp, I said, we have to do something. And I sort of naively thought I knew enough friends that were business owners that had enough money that we could just fix it. And so I started asking my friend, the sociologist, like, why why is there this gap? There's other organizations doing things to help the homeless in, in Northwest Arkansas, but why is there this gap that there's 140 people in the woods? And so we sort of identified the the real issues there. And and there's other places where the solution of a transitional micro shelter village can sort of build the bridge from the woods to all the other services. And so uh, we just decided and sort of provided the seed funding to we bought five acres of that very land. And we just got our building permit three weeks ago to start building 20 10 by 12 small shelters with a bed and a, and a small desk and a lockable door that are dry and secure. And so the idea is we're going to bring people out of the woods, low barrier to entry, give them time and space for survival mode to recede, and then have a case manager come alongside them and begin to unpack their mental health issues and addiction issues and job skills issues. And along the, the way, hopefully our small groups from our church will be able to come alongside and and get to know them and bring sort of a relationship in their life that is saturated with the gospel, bring that to the table if they don't uh, haven't already experienced that. And so um, I just felt like we had to do something. I couldn't raise my children three miles as the crow flies from a homeless camp of 140 people when I felt like we could do something to fix it and to solve it uh, now before it gets any bigger and more complex. Aaron, are those micro, are those basically micro houses altogether that are going to be, it's like a transitional housing to get them on their feet and get them help so they can eventually transition out of that? That's exactly it. I mean, even, even micro houses is a little bit of an exaggeration. It's really a 10 by 12 shed with a bed and a small desk and a, like a small mini split system that will just temper it from the extreme cold or hot. And there will be 20 of these in a controlled environment enclosed with a program building where there's bathrooms, showers, uh, a kitchen, and some meeting rooms for the case managers to work. And so the idea is, you know, people who are chronically homeless in the woods are in survival mode. They can't think about anything else. You give them a place to lay their head at night that's securable and it's dry and it's a little bit more comfortable over the course of a few weeks that survival mode recedes and then somebody can actually come alongside and help them work through the issues that then generally speaking 90 to 180 days they could hopefully then be handed off to the next service provider who can take them the rest of the way so we saw a gap and we're trying to build a bridge from the woods to all the other networks of services that exist to try to move them into sort of a, a rehabilitation to where they can become responsible citizens in the community again and, and find housing that's affordable. Do you have a website for that? Because I'm sure some of our listeners want to maybe explore that, maybe replicate that in their own area. Absolutely. It's simple. It's newbeginningsnwa.org. And it's all there. The plan's there. There's an opportunity to donate if anybody wants to join us and partner with us on that or 
close to having all the construction funds and we're beginning to raise funds for the programming, which is really affordable. And we've got some grants already to help with that, but we do have some need. But yeah, the, the program's there. And what we're trying to do is sort of take what others have done in New Orleans and Memphis and Austin and Portland and do it for Fayetteville and do it in such a way that it's sort of replicatable and you could cut and paste this to other places. And again, I feel like the my professor friend is the expert. I've just learned some things from him about homelessness in the last few years that I'm trying to provide a solution for with his expertise. We're here with Aaron Marshall, who's the CEO of BCS, Technology Deployment Company in Northwest Arkansas. You're a busy guy, obviously running your business, but you've also found time to give back as we heard about the hospital and new beginnings, but also on our CSU board, as well as your, your church there. Can you tell us more about your church involvement as well as your board involvement? Yeah, I've been really blessed to be a part of, uh, I, I pulled into my brother's driveway on October 1st, 2002, sort of licking my wounds. And we were at Fellowship Bible Church the next morning. And it's a, it's a fantastic church with uh, fantastic teaching and a great support network. We're a cell celebration sort of church. And so we don't just do small groups. We, we are a church of small groups. And so four years ago, we built a campus in Fayetteville, not far from my house. And I'm privileged to serve as a, as a community shepherd, which means I'm unpaid staff. There's three other guys like me who are in the business world, but have capacity and time and passion and the ability to, we oversee all of our adult small groups. So we have a hundred small groups that meet in Fayetteville uh, that we oversee. We train leaders. Small groups are our method and means of doing discipleship. So it's not about just having a small group, uh, having, you know, dinner and, and, a, and a fun time together. It's about how do we engage in relationships that intentionally lead to discipleship? And we find the best way to do that is through a small group. And as Paul said, you're part of our board of trustees. So I want to say thank you for that. Uh, you know, giving us some good work uh, in our development committee. The uh, other thing that was uh, kind of fun is that last year, Jim and Diane and Aaron and JT took a trip to Israel together. Uh, it was my first trip to Israel. It was not your first trip, right? It was your second trip, son? Yeah, it was our second trip. Our church goes every other year, and, and we're, uh, we have friends at Dallas Seminary, and sometimes his, the president, uh, Mark Bailey, would go with us as well. And so the first time I got to go, our founding pastor and Mark Bailey were the sort of the hosts. And man, what a privilege to, uh, to have that experience and hear from them. And then when they did another trip, uh, I, I was, my wife had just given birth to our twins right before the last trip. And so she wasn't able to go. And I promised her that someday we'd go together. So we had planned to go again. And, and then through getting back in touch with uh, Jim and Diane, uh, we invited them to tag along with us. And man, we had a great time having not only our tour hosts, but then Jim in my ear the whole way, adding uh, his knowledge and commentary was fantastic. And so we plan to go again next year, Lord willing, if uh, things with the pandemic allow us to. And so we'd love to have you join us if you're listening and, and uh, come along for that experience. You will never read your Bible the same way. It's like taking it from the normal color TV to 4K HD, super crystal clear, and it, it will give you insight that you can't have until you've been there and seen it with your own eyes. Yeah, you know, a friend of mine told me that... But, uh... Everyone he knew who went to Israel came back saying what you've just said. I'll never read my Bible the same way again. And he had determined that he was not going to say that. And he said, it was the first thing I said. 
and, and, I, and I think you're right with that. So, uh, you know, a shameless plug here for the trip. Uh, down the show notes, you're going to find a link uh, for the homeless organization that Aaron's working with. You'll also find a link to our webpage where you can get more information about the uh, post-COVID, Lord willing, uh, trip that CSU is going to have uh, next fall, uh, fall 2021 in October. Well, it's about time that we close this thing up. Anything at all you, you wanted to share uh, with the folks who are going to be listening to this? I'd just say that one of the blessings of the last really five years has been reconnecting with CSU. Honestly, they're not paying me to say this. You know, I was apprehensive to get back on campus given all of my history. Uh, And I found a way to get there sort of accidentally for a homecoming a few years back. And when I ran into Jim and several others, uh, Matt Pollock was still there back then, you know, across the board on campus, I found a level of grace and acceptance and a warmth that I did not anticipate. And uh, that was the beginning of sort of getting reconnected with the campus and the institution and then uh, joining the board. And, you know, we've been through some challenging times, but I feel like we've done a lot of hard work and the right people are in the right places of leadership and are making the right decisions for CSU to be the best it can be to fulfill its mission, to impact students and to make a difference in our world. And so if you're if you're an alumnus or you're thinking about uh, connecting with the school in any way, I would encourage you to absolutely do so. Uh, you won't be disappointed. Well, that's certainly good news. Paul, any last words for us? I, I just had a quick question. You're, as you're closing it up, you're in the Walmart world out there. What, what lesson can we as Christ followers learn in our whatever walk of life we are? What lesson can we as believers learn from the Walmart way? Well, that's a loaded question. I would say being right here is probably different than what people might perceive of the Walmart way. Um, I actually know personally the CEO, Doug McMillan, and sort of their history of their leadership. And despite what you may hear or think or see from your perspective, Walmart does everything with excellence. Their leadership wants to make people's lives better. Their culture, uh, generally speaking, is important and positive to them. And, uh, you know, Doug's a member of our church and loves Jesus. And uh, that's the place he comes from as he leads that organization. And so organization that size, sure, you're going to have outliers and things that, that, are, that are maybe not what you'd want. But uh, they're, they're coming from a good place trying to do the right thing to actually make people's lives better. And I see that from, a, from the front row. And so I, I think we can all take the lesson from that to do what you can where you are to make somebody's life better. Uh, we may not all be able to change the political perspective of our country, but you can do something in your neighborhood to make a difference to somebody today. That's excellent. Hey, thank you so much, Aaron. Aaron, just let me say thank you. Appreciate uh, you as a friend, but I appreciate the things you've shared here. Uh, it is possible to love people the way that Jesus does and to pr- create opportunities where they can come to know him. And we're grateful you're part of that. So uh, we'll say goodbye to you and, uh, work on getting you back here to talk about some other things. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye.